Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I am riding solo today. Uh, Frank is actually back from Idaho, and uh, but he's piled up in paperwork. Um, I've got a super good friend uh, on that has a, a vast amount of experience. It's going to kind of follow up this uh, four-part series, the Alabama Rooster, Brian Broderick. Brian, thanks for coming on. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem. Just so uh, everybody's kind of following along, in case you listen to this one first, um, I yesterday did a podcast marathon about broadheads in front of center. I had uh, Bill with Iron Will broadheads, Brent Hahn with Valkyrie. I then had Danny Clum with Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear and Cutthroat broadheads. And now I've got to tie it all up, Brian uh, Broderick, who uh, most of you probably know, he's uh, Frank and I's real good friend. Uh, we hunt down in Alabama with him. We got a lot of hunts planned together in the future, and I wanted to get everyone's uh, opinion, I guess, um, and thought process on broadhead, single bevel, double bevel, long, short, three to one, front of center, uh, arrows heavy, heavy up front, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so people can kind of decide for themselves on what they're hearing. And, uh, you know, John Dudley and I did a podcast recently trying to explain how FOC works, the front of center, um, how it can have its upsides, downsides, things like that. And one of the interesting things in my uh, traditional archery journey was the vast difference in people's opinion on heavyweight forward and listening to you Brian and Brent Hahn at Valkyrie go back and forth was comical and to give everybody uh, an idea Brian you've probably killed I mean several hundred animals uh, with a bow in your time I mean tell us a little bit about yourself well uh, born and raised in LA uh, been hunting <laughs> all my life uh, Started bow hunting at the age of 12. I've killed a, uh, a few animals here and there, uh, compound and uh, traditional archery, and have experienced and experimented with just about any kind of arrow setup you could ever ever imagine. I'm just a constant tinkerer, uh, always looking for a better system. Uh, I'm also the 2017. Uh, primitive outfitting arm wrestling champion. Yeah, Brian, which is amazing. If you look at the uh, the Alabama rooster, you would not think he would kick Brian and I's ass, and he did just that uh, in arm wrestling. It was actually depressing. Um, that's <laughs> It was bad enough I don't want a rematch. Coming from a guy who can bench over 400 pounds, that's pretty fucking pathetic. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, well, I don't know what the deal was, but the whole thing started with Brinker saying, oh, I've never lost. Yeah, and you, I was like, really? You, you beat his ass like a rented mule. It was bad. Yeah, and then I started thinking, I said, well, you know, all these guys are from Oregon, so they must have, like, estrogen in the water system up there or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably. That might be what it is. It's all that liberal Portland water kind of flowing through. Oh, shit. That's well, right. That's right. <laughs> well, Brian, you – so, you know, just to give people an idea, because that was one thing um, – you're about as bad as Danny as far as getting out what you've done. But, you know, I think it's important for people to understand, not on a bragging aspect, but just as a, a data aspect – you know, the more right. 
arrows and broadheads you've seen go through an animal, the more experience level you have. And one thing that's good um, with a guy like like Brian Broderick here is you've hunted uh, Africa, Western United States, Canada. You, I mean, you've hunted everything from the uh, crack-headed out white-tailed deer in Alabama all the way up to uh, African game and moose. And you've probably, I mean, I would I would assume uh, whitetail-wise, you know, in your, your lifetime in Alabama, it's, uh, you know, a few hundred whitetails, but also, you know, pigs. You know, you guys have an abundance of pigs. You've been to Africa a few right. times. And so, you know, several hundred animals, maybe over a thousand, uh, you've seen tipped over or tipped over yourself. Um, so you get a lot of data from that. And and I th- I think it's important for me to get the word out for everybody to hear um, tying this all up, this, this four-part series, that there is not a cure-all for everything and everyone's opinions are are different. And if you took a guy that, let's say, shot low weight forward and a light arrow, uh, my buddy Henry Ferguson, for example, who's killed a few elk and several mule deer, I don't. I think his arrow weighs 380 grains. He shoots a mechanical. And in in my opinion, it, yeah, I know, crazy, right? Um, in my opinion, that works until it doesn't, and something may happen. It may not at a point in time where he'll be like I, me and change that system because of potential lack of penetration. Now, you know, having said that, what are your? Th- I mean, g- give us your back data on testing all of this stuff because I know you've you've done everything. In every way, uh, you know, just because, I mean, you've been shooting for so long, uh, you know, kind of gives an idea, especially on the Ashby theory or, 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 that, or that when you kind of dove down that rabbit hole. Yeah, well, I'll back up just a few steps. Um, when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough uh, to get hired on to a really cool, um, you know, pro shop, uh, hunting and fishing store in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, called the Outhouse, and the Outhouse was uh, a really popular uh, uh, store early on. Um, it was originally started by the Scott family, um, who basically they were the founders of BASS, Bass Angler Sportsman Society. So these guys, I mean, they were pioneers in the industry, and they had this incredible store. I was lucky to get hired on in the archery shop, and quickly, you know, was running the archery shop. And through that process, you know, I got a great education uh, through, you know, bow manufacturers, arrow manufacturers. Back then, there was extensive training uh, that all these manufacturers provided for their pro shop, uh, you know, staff and all. Now, none of that even exists. But, but I got a great foundation on how to tune a bow how to properly spine an arrow to the bow, uh, you know, basically just a good foundation, which is super important. Nowadays, I just don't feel like there's a lot of people out there that have that, um, especially the individual bow hunter they're relying on pro shops for. So, you know, kind of as a consummate tinkerer, I, w- I went through all the phases, you know, the, the super heavy arrows, um, you know, the, the, the 2413s, you know, with a, with like a, you know, a 1716 or a 1615 slid inside of it to get a 700 grain arrow. Um, 
all the way down to when the overdraws came out, you know, and you shot the, the 24 inch arrow, you know, as fast as it would go with the ultralight broadhead for speed, speed, speed. I went through all that phase. Um, and just, you know, kind of went through the whole gamut of, of the different arrows, you know, set up spectrum. But what I always came back to was results, uh, as far as, what my performance was with arrows going through animals and i just realized pretty early on that i got better penetration back when i was shooting you know like 220 feet per second out of just a basic little wheel compound um you know in a in a 22 16 aluminum arrow and a two blade cut on contact broadhead so I just kind of said, you know, what's making this happen and started trying to, you know, figure out balance, weight forward, heavy arrow, light arrow, speed, all those things. And, you know, just 25 years, 30 years of doing this just came to the conclusion that a, a more balanced arrow, 10, 15% up front, something in that, you know, 500 to 600 grain range, whether you're shooting a compound or a trad bow, it was just a foolproof system. And that tip with a two blade broadhead was just a recipe for two holes every time, you know? So that's kind of what I'm looking for and, and, uh, kind of what I've stuck with, you know? Gotcha. Now, one of the things that I have, uh, have, um, you know, kind of, you know, through, through, um, you know, my history, which is a lot less traditional, a lot more compound, but, you know, I started out in the, the, the speed game somewhat and, uh, you know, 350, 380 grain arrow, um, you know, I was shooting competition, but also hunting with that real, real high speeds and, uh, and then kind of graduated quickly into from, um, experience of of, of of arrows not going through an animal when the shot wasn't perfect um you know when you if you start out with um around guys that are have you shoot a 23 15 and 100 grain or 125 grain broadhead up front and yeah you don't shoot tournaments you're you're blowing through animals and then you transfer over to shooting tournaments and get caught up in the speed game um then you, you start shooting animals and, and not going through them and having some success still, you know, with animals tipping over, but shooting them with lighter weight heads. And I, I noticed like even for me, you know, I kind of forgot about, hey, what was it like when I was shooting a twenty two nineteen, a twenty three fifteen, um, aluminum yeah. arrow blowing through everything, um, because I was having pretty At good way less speed. Yeah, suit a lot less speed. And then go into the lighter weight arrows and still tipping stuff over. But, you know, you kind of forget what, where you started if you're having decent success with maybe a lighter weight setup. Um, and then you have an issue, meaning like I did on a mule deer, um, where my arrow basically stopped the moment it hit. And then I kind of transferred back into the heavyweight arrow, uh, not really thinking of front of center at any point in this time, in, in time at, at this, at this point. And then, yeah. As time had gone on, I just, uh, due to the nature of a bow build and an arrow build and tuning, uh, my point weight got heavier, but it didn't get 
like crazy front of center. And I just, you know, I'd have a 50 grain brass insert and, uh, you know, 125 grain point, which is decent. You know, that's like 13 to 15% up front. Um, you know, probably 13, yeah. I guess I'm most, um, and then shooting many animals with a compound, heavy poundage, heavy arrow weight, going to a, a traditional bow where I shot 200 grains up front with an aluminum insert my first year, tipping over, having pretty good success um, with pretty low front of center in, in, in comparison to the extreme front of center category. Um, one one of the first things that comes to mind going through that it was the key to victory was a very sharp cut on contact broadhead and generally a two blade and when i when i say that meaning um i didn't you know traveling down all these different rabbit holes i never focused that much on fr- a heavy front of center as the pivotal point a heavy arrow was yeah. important to me now this is also coming from a guy, and Broderick hates mechanical broadheads, and I have shot a lot of, <laughs> of, of animals with a mechanical broadhead, but I had the advantage of 80 to 90-pound bow and a 29-inch draw length, and I don't really have to worry about going through an animal, even if there was a butter knife on the end of it. It's getting decent penetration with that much momentum behind it, but where I you really, I really like the light popped on and, and was a, a wake-up call for me after all the years of shooting a, a compound was I'm flying through animals with a arrow going 180 feet per second that weighed as much as my compound arrows, but I was shooting a two-blade broadhead. And now this whole, and I hate to say fad, but it's, you know, everything's up and down. Speed was a fad, you know, and then now this whole front of center thing is going on. Um which you dove into in the 80s or 90s. Um, not 90s. 90s. I'm not that old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're actually, Broderick and I are pretty <laughs> close to the same age. But one of the, the first things I called you and I said, dude, I just shot a 3D course. This was recently. And I was like, yeah. my arrows were looking like a Tomahawk missile going down range. And a guy, a target in front of me was, was with a traditional bow. He was shooting a 600 and some grain arrow with same setup, five inch feathers, and he was getting no porpoising, just darting through the air. Now he was getting drift, but not corkscrewing. And I, right. my, his setup was a heavy arrow and a decently heavy head, where my setup was a light arrow, really heavy head, and I did have five inch feathers. Now, explain what you and Brent from Valkyrie. It's like grumpy old men bitching back and forth. Your experience in Africa, and, and, and kind of describe that because that has more to do because you were shooting cut on contact broadheads. That had more to do with arrow flight and and the characteristics of what the arrow was doing as it went in and through the animal. Yeah. So, well, let, let's let's you 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 reference the Ashby theory. Um, or Ashby reports, or whatever you want to call them. Um, so, when I when I started getting into trad hunting, uh, that would have been in ninety ninety uh, shit ninety four ninety five something like that. I got into that and was shooting uh, cedar arrows, uh, 
you know, Zwicky broadheads and just, I mean, straight blowing through everything. It was great. And then, you know, started looking at trying to do a, a, a higher FOC based on this, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, ran across this Ashby Report stuff. Um, and it all kind of came along with the, the, the interweb, you know, becoming a part of my life and getting on these, like, trad gangs and things like that. And you see these these reports, and you start reading, you're like, holy crap, look what this guy's doing. And you see all this high FOC stuff. So I went down that rabbit hole, got obsessive with it, and uh, gosh, I shot high FOC for probably six, seven years and had either super great results, I mean, like, just excellent results blowing through animals, or like the complete opposite, like just no penetration, um, just barely, you know, barely going in. And I could never figure out what was going on. And I always thought it was like, you know, my release or, you know, something like that, because trad bows are so finicky. Well, what I realized was a high FOC arrow is a cheat when it comes to tuning. It, it basically, you can underspine the crap out of an arrow, put all your weight up front, as soon as it leaves the bow, that real light back end will stabilize itself super quick, just like a dart, and it'll fly, and that head will go exactly where you want it to go. And with regards to target shooting, that's great, because the head's going there. As soon as you introduce a crosswind or debris or any kind of variable, that head will still hit where it's going, but now the knock is not behind the head anymore. It's either angle left, angle right, depending on, you know, what's, you know, interfering with the flight. And you know this, that the most important thing with regards to penetration, regardless of what you've got up front, is the knock being directly behind the head. That's it. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. You want that, that arrow driving through straight true and all that energy focused directly behind the head. Well, with these high FOC systems, they will get, you know, at an angle so quickly with any kind of variable on it, you know, any kind of wind drift or anything, and you just lose your penetration. And in 2005, um, man, we had a lot of crosswind. It was super windy. Um, when we were in Africa, and I was getting zip, I mean zip for penetration, and my partner Scott, he was shooting a, uh, a full metal jacket, heavy shaft, was it, or like 12 grains per inch or something like that, um, and, a, and a lighter broadhead, a more balanced arrow, he was shooting 10 pounds less than me, and he was, I mean, straight smoking everything he shot, blowing through everything he shot. And I realized then what was going on. So I went back to the Ashby report and started kind of trying to dissect it. It's, it's a scientific study, basically. If you want, I'm using that term loosely, I guess, but it's a study. But in third grade, everybody learned that the scientific method, the first thing you have to have is a baseline. 
Well, you probably didn't learn that because you probably didn't pay attention. But hard most no. everybody else. Did. No, I, I was right. Pr- I was probably out shooting shit with my BB gun, which I shouldn't have been doing. But go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at go back and look at the Ashby report, the entire thing is variable. The entire thing is variable. There's no baseline at all. If you were actually going to do that report and have and be objective about it, you would have to shoot all of those arrows out of a compound bow. So you would have a consistent delivery every single time. And it had to be out of the same bow, same weight, same everything. And then the arrows would have to be the same exact weight and the only variable be the, the percentage of FOC. That's the only way you could get a true comparison. But if you go back and read his, he's trying to make it seem like the high FOC out of this lighter bow penetrated better than this heavier bow. But what most people don't know that are not in the trad world is when you read that, his lighter bow is like a, a, a really nice recurve. His heavy bow, his 84-pound bow, is like a Howard Hill UD-style longbow that is like the slow boat to China. It doesn't generate any type of speed or power stroke. So it's kind of misleading and if you go back and read it, you know, kind of with a critical eye, it's basically trying to sell grizzly broadheads. <laughs> so, I mean, and most of these things that you hear, they're all trying to sell something at the end of the day. So I think if you look at it objectively, that study really doesn't hold water because there's just too many variables. And then he's shooting into downed animals laying on the ground and comparing the penetration, that is the, you know, the highest variable of all of them because it depends on where you hit. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just not conclusive stuff. So once I went back and read that, realized what was happening with me, I rotated back to a more balanced arrow, 10 to 15% weight up front, a good heavy arrow all the way through, and... It makes your bow way, way quieter, which is more important than anything. And the penetration speaks for itself. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't, you know, these animals are not holding these arrows. They're going through. And I guess the last point I would make is, is that, you know, you hit an animal three or four inches behind the shoulder, it's going to go through it no matter really what you're shooting, if it's decently tuned and decently weighted. You've heard me say this a million times. I set my bow up for when the animal moves or I screw up and I shoot straight up that animal's leg and hit him high shoulder right in that ball. I want to be able to have a system, even on a deer, that will get into that, you know, thoracic cavity and and penetrate into the vitals. That's what I want. I don't want an animal running off with an arrow, you know, with two inches of penetration in its shoulder. Right. Right, and I'm, I, you know, it's just so one of the one of the reason biggest reasons were, well, the only really reason we're discussing this is the lack, in my opinion, of information, um, where people will follow um, a, a trend or a fad, which is, I mean, that's how life works, and the lack of information they have behind it. And I'm not saying there's there's a um, anything wrong with a, a, a with FOC or heavy FOC or anything wrong with a heavy arrow, 
Uh, but what I am saying is take your information off of people that have a lot of, um, you know, experience uh, doing it because I think what most people will find is is uh, once you go down all these different rabbit holes, one is a very sharp broadhead and uh, cut on contact for penetration. That's going to be, I guarantee, one of the things that pops up first. The next going to be a heavier arrow. Uh, the next, you know, all of these arrow flight, good components, um, you know, all of those things. I don't think that you're going to find if you if you find a guy shooting a 600 grain arrow with 200 up front, he's going to have very many bad stories about penetration compared to a guy shooting a 600 grain arrow with 300 grains up front. Um, what you are going to find is is um, uh, a lot of arguing in between of is that 100 grains up front making a difference, um, and then you know for people that don't know how to tune. Um, it is a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes tuning heavy FOC arrows um, because you are having to drop the weight of that arrow so low and obviously stay at a fairly high stiff spined arrow to to pull all of that off, which sometimes then, you know, and that's not always, um, you know, a lot of guys can pull it off or some guys can, um, <clears throat> you know, there's downsides to that, and sometimes it's it's hard to actually accomplish that. And I know for for me, and I'm speaking for me personally, I and I talked with this when I had Brent with Valkyrie. I am a heavy arrow, uh, you know, an evenly weighted heavy arrow guy with a good point weight up front type of a guy, more than I am buying into the uh, Ashby theory. And I don't, I'm not trying to argue with anyone. I'm just saying it off of my own experience. Um, I mean, uh, g give an idea, 300, if you're shooting, um, a 70 pound compound bow and you're shooting uh 29 inches of draw and you put a 300 grain broadhead up front, how many arrows can you even find that will spine out? Maybe one zero. zero? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and it's going to be, it'll be difficult where if you take a guy shooting 70 pounds and he wants to put. 150 to 200 up front, you're going to be able to find three, uh, two, 300 or a 300 spine or a 250 spine arrow is going to fly just fine. And you will not, if you, if you, if you're looking at it in the fact, the arrow weight is going to be the same, that evenly weighted arrow is going to be a hell of a lot more durable. Um, it's going to be heavier grains per inch, but it's going to be a lot more durable, you know, in the end. Because and, it's going to have a, it's going to have a thicker, uh, wall, arrow wall. Exactly. Yep. And and th those are the things I want people to understand. I don't I'm not saying for heavy front weight or extreme front weight doesn't work. There'll be 100 people that'll post immediately saying, hey, it works. Well, I know it works. There's no doubt it works. Where I worry about me personally is wind and and, and penetration because of that wind and if I wouldn't have had success blowing through everything with the stick bow in 16 with very, I mean, average weighted front of center, um, I mean, I had 200 grains or 250 up front with aluminum insert. I, I mean, hell, my compound bows, I had 175, and my arrow weight was about the same with the stick and the compound. And, and hopefully I'm not confusing people here. The thing that is always the same in this is a heavy arrow. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, right. that's the key. So now when you were in Africa, um, 
you know, the the first year or the year you went when you had the bad penetration issues, what was your exact setup that year and your exact setup the next year when you were zipping right through them? And this is all on film, too. So, Yeah, that's right. Well, let me back up just a second before I answer that. I kind of I, I, uh, I have a hard time organizing thoughts sometimes uh, when I'm talking. So as you were talking, I kind of wrote down a few things here that I wanted to kind of back up on because I, I want to make sure people understand. Um, so with regards to penetration, a 600-grain arrow that is perfectly tuned and is flying true with the knot directly behind the head same broadhead, same speed, same everything. There's going to be zero difference in penetration regardless of the percentage of FOC. If they're flying the same tune, same speed, same broadhead, they're going to penetrate the same. The calculations do not change with regards to your momentum and penetration based on FOC. That's all theory stuff that the FOC you know, uh, tribe kind of subscribes to. So, but I'm telling you, there's no difference. 600 grain arrow, flying 240 feet per second, flying true, same head, going to penetrate the same. So the high FOC arrows will work. They will do what they say they're going to do most of the time. It's only... The, with, the, with the introduction of variables is where I saw it fail, just me personally. And my thing is, is that you can listen to somebody that has said, man, I shoot 30% FOC, you know, the 300 grain arrow up front, the light, super light shaft. I shot five deer, blew through every one of them. Well, that's great. Or you can listen to a guy that says, I shot 100 deer, and 10 of them, I didn't get anything, 90 of them, it worked. That is the guy that actually has the range of data that has truly tested it, you know? And there's people like that out there, you know? Um, yeah, you're, you're one the of other them. Thing that's, <laughs> the other thing that's important is, as you back up and talk about, uh, you mentioned mechanicals. Mechanicals are the same exact same exact thing. They are going to work 90% of the time. They're going to work 90% of the time. But why? Why in the world? If you're a guy in Pennsylvania that is hunting public land and you're, I mean, you're, you've got probably one of the hardest roads to hoe out there for a bow hunter. You're going to have very few opportunities in a year in a year at a good quality deer or any deer. Why would you shoot a setup that that one opportunity may be that one out of ten times that it fails? Why why would you even take that chance? I mean, it's like rolling the dice with what you're doing. Why would you not play the averages, play the percentages, and shoot what you know works? A cut on contact hit with a heavy arrow and make sure you capitalize on every opportunity because capitalizing on opportunities is the difference between the guys that do it every year and the guys that have sporadic success. That's it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And 
you know, again, I can't pound this into people's heads enough. One of the, the, the number one reason I did these podcasts or, or, you know, we obviously with with Iron Will Outfitters, which is a a very good head two blade, um, you know, sing, uh, double bevel with bleeder blades. Uh, very scientific guy. Bill makes an awesome product and he has his views and he has his testing. So we wanted to get him on. And then we got uh, Brent from Valkyrie and, uh, you know. Iron Will does not really buy into the Ashby theory as much. Uh, Valkyrie, he's balls deep in the Ashby theory. He's 100%, 650 grains, 300 up front, bone breaking, all the stuff that you keep in mind. I have not read the Ashby report, so I'm just repeating things. But he is 100% into it. The only people that have time to read them are government workers and people that are in prison. Yeah, you don't have you don't have time otherwise to sit down and read all that shit. <laughs> well, and 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 Brent, his his testing is has found different. It heavy arrow up front. That's the way to go. Better groups. Uh, and I will say, heavier weight up front. I'm not going to argue that. If I was, um, you know, a lot of my longer distance setups, especially in Target, I had pretty pretty heavy weight up front. But Brent's is different. Then you go to I got Danny Clum on here from Rocky Mountain. They make the cutthroat, uh, single bevel, tonto point. Obviously, with Danny, um, uh, he's you know, he, they they he's one of the owners of Rocky Mountain. They have thousands of people they're setting up and and photos and all the different setups. They sell tons of broadheads. I wanted to get his opinion on all of this, and then obviously Brian Broderick because you have shot for so long, and I don't know many people that have put more arrows through animals than you. And that's, you know, one of that is obviously you've put yourself in a position to go on a lot of hunts, but also you're able to shoot a lot of animals in Alabama. Um, so you, yeah, like, you know, just this year, for instance, you know, just to put in perspective for people, you know, you and you and Frank spent 15 days with me this year down here. And in 15 days, uh, Frank killed 14 deer. And you killed, what, six or seven? Oh, well, I, more. I killed more. Um, I killed, what, three or four with a stick bow and seven or eight with a compound, oh, and maybe? Seven or eight with a compound, that's right. So, yeah. I mean, in 15 days, Frank killed 14 deer. And in 15 days, you killed like 10. And, I, I mean, I shot five or six, and I was basically guiding. But... You know, I think I shot 17 deer this year uh, with a bow. Um, I mean, who who gets that kind of frame of frame of reference for for you know studying what uh, arrows do going through animals? It's almost impossible anywhere in the country. So, I mean, you know, when I was in my youth and was not, and when I let me preface this, when I'm saying I'm shooting. 16, 17 deer, you know, there was, you know, three bucks in Alabama, two bucks in Oklahoma, and about a dozen does. A lot of these are does, um, but it still counts. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, like my senior year in high school, I shot 25 bucks with a boat. I was supposed to be, you know, doing a co-op thing where I left school to work every day and I hunted every single day. Um, that's insane. I know it's insane, but 
that's what we did back then. And when you start compiling that amount of data and then a whitetails, and then you throw the hog on top of there. And a hog is the equivalent to me of shooting like an elk, a moose, anything like that as far as penetration tests. Because that shield area on a good boar is so difficult to penetrate and get through to vitals. There's really nothing else on the planet like it when it comes to trying to get an arrow through them. They're so dense. They're just so, you know, tough to get an arrow all the way through. I, I bet you I've killed three or 400 hogs with a bow, most of them with a trad bow. So, you know, it's impossible for people to understand what we're talking about until you kind of put those numbers in there to understand you know, the percentages, when I say it works 10% of the time, I'm talking about 10 out of 100. I'm not talking about one out of 10. So when you got guys out there that are doing these podcasts that have killed 10 animals their entire life, they're basically just regurgitating sales pitches. That's basically all it is. That's what I love about your podcast is, Yours is based on arrows hitting the ground. If you want to talk, if you want to have a conversation about an accurate arrow set up for shooting foam, I'm not your guy. <laughs> I don't shoot foam. Right. Well, and, and that, I, I would never even enter that conversation. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, you know, Dudley and I did one on his and then he was on ours, which just, you know, it talked a little bit about everything, both. Um, you know, animals hitting the ground and, and, and target archery. And, um, you know, we also talked a lot about, you know, learn it, you know, study the art of archery, study everything, learn everything. Um, and, and as you're learning, your views are going to change constantly or mine did, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I went from 22, 19, 22, 16, 23, 15, so, you know, this is the Chuck Adams days where he was probably everyone's. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, when you're poor, you had yep. Game Getters, then you got the Super Slams, that's right. and then they had Super Slam yep. Select with the swedged back, and, you know, that's all we had. We, I didn't, you know, and I, I mean, I don't think people realize how old I am, but we didn't have range finders when I was shooting in the beginning. The first range finder that I remember having was that big square Bushnell 500, which was a game changer. I mean, unbelievable. It was. It was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I remember I worked a bunch of side jobs. My ex-wife about killed me because I went and bought one at Walmart. But that was, and it, the thing was the size of two sets of binoculars or a set of binoculars and a half. But, you know, going through all of that um, and learning as I went on, you know, learning to, I mean, to tune a bow, learning to serve, learning to build strings, um, you know, learning all of that. and And then obviously – you know, I went through the mechanical thing and I still shoot, I shot mechanicals last year, um, or in 2017 and fixed blade broadheads. You know, one of the cheats I had again was heavy, you know, I could shoot whatever I wanted because of the system. But during all that time, I also got to hunt with a lot of people, um, and different systems. And I, I saw a rage broadhead and, and, and as far as mechanicals go, you know, the rage is debatable. A lot of people like rages, but the guy was shooting a 300 and, I don't know, 40, 60 grain arrow at 60-some pounds, watched it bounce off of a mule deer. Would that have happened with a heavy arrow and a cut-on-contact broadhead? Hell no. It would have zipped right through it. 
you know, in all of these things as they're happening, you're taking mental notes. You know what I mean? You're you're throwing this in as a brain thing. And I'm like, okay, 200 plus inch mule deer could have been on the ground. But what that kid did is, is and he's a great kid. I mean, I, I mean, he's not a kid anymore, but he walked into Bass Pro. Kid walked up, raged in the cage, axed through an animal, went back, you know, did what the kid said. Kid never asked him his arrow weight, never asked him his poundage. You know, he's pumping out not very much kinetic energy, uh, not very much momentum at all. Screwed on the broadheads, went out, shot that deer, and I watched the arrow bounce out of the animal. The broadhead opened up vertically on the rib. The rib flexed in. The rib flexed out. Arrow bounced out of the deer with my own eyes at 20 yards. Now, again, having to do that over, I mean, think about it. 200-inch mule deer, bump his arrow weight up 100, 125 grains, throw a cut on contact head. That's a 200-inch mule deer on the ground. All of those different things where, you know, you may be professing your faith in a 425-grain setup with a mechanical broadhead. You haven't put any animals on the ground. You're only doing it because of who you're listening to. But then you catch the meaty part of an elk front shoulder. In the next year, you will not be professing your faith about that setup. I guarantee it. So things are constantly changing. And having all of these people on the podcast... Learn from that, experiment with it yourself, and you will find, I mean, how many times have you shot with a guy where, or shot with several guys into a block target? You're all shooting the same target. There's going to be one arrow sticking out way farther than the others, and there's going to be one arrow in quite a bit deeper. Obviously, targets are all can be shot out differently. My point being is, one thing is going to guarantee be the same. That arrow weight is that arrow is going to be heavy. In in my in my opinion, um, so yeah, definitely. I, th- I think I think the I think the point to get I, I think if you wanted to kind of do a PowerPoint on this for people that are listening, I think the most important thing number one is to properly tune the arrow to the bow. Not tune the bow, tune the arrow to the bow. That's a big misconception. Properly spined, properly tuned. And we'll drill down on real quick on how to do that. But the other things are a heavy arrow. There is no downside to it other than speed. And speed is not everything. The heavy arrow far outweighs, the benefits of the heavy arrow far outweighs the one loss, which is speed. You're, it makes your bow super quiet which a quiet bow to me is the single most important thing you can do. Number two, the heavy arrow is going to be a lifesaver when it comes to a mediocre shot or the animal moves. Believe it or not, these animals do move. Um, A cut on contact broadhead, that combined with the heavy arrow is a fail-safe, foolproof, never-fail system. It's why take a chance? It is a high, high percentage success story. What, right. people, what we need to back up and say is, is that I can tell you this, and, and I'm 45 years old. I killed my first deer with a bow at 12. So that's, I don't know how many years, 33 years of bow hunting. I've never shot a mechanical head. And the only reason I've never shot one is, is I understand, you know, the, 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 
the, the three laws of energy. You know, everybody, everybody knows the, the, the three laws. And basically it's, it's, you know, um, an arrow, I mean, an object is either still or in motion, um, uh, for an object to be put in motion, it has to be put in motion by something else, uh, which is basically, uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And then the third rule is basically the formula for kinetic energy. Those are the three laws of energy or, or, or whatever you want to call it. But the most important thing to remember is that one is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for a, a mechanical head to open, it has to borrow that energy from something else. Energy is not free. So the only thing that the mechanical broadhead can borrow the energy from is the moving arrow. It's very simple terms. So why would you shoot a head that is going to steal and rob energy from your arrow. It doesn't make any sense at all. And you're saying, well, they're so much more accurate. Okay. Well, if you're trying to be accurate like Aaron Snyder, you don't, you're, you're beating your head against the wall. There's a handful of people that can shoot like him. There's no reason that, that, that anybody that has just average skills should ever shoot over 40 yards. And if you can't, tune a fixed blade arrow to fly great out at 40 yards, you've got major problems with your setup. Am I wrong? No, no, you're not wrong. And I, and I want to make sure and clarify, cause I know, you know, I'm going to get a ton of, so people are going to be confused, misinformation or whatever else. Cause a lot of times, sometimes people hear what they want to and, and kick out the rest, so to speak. And, and, you know, my deal on this, why I shot a ma- mechanical is because one, I could, because I had so much momentum and the um, uh, the issues that you can run into with a mechanical, especially opening, um, were kind of a moot point. Two, I did it because I, I do shoot farther, or I did, than I probably should have, and there is less wind drag and, and, and things of that nature. And, and you know, they're, they're also, they, are, they are easier to tune. Um, sure. You know, having said that, one of the thing I want to make sure, so people do not get confused on this, like in in 17, I shot mechanicals and fixed blades. I shot um, cutthroats uh, and iron wheels, um, you know, and and uh, and I had mechanicals in the quiver. You know, the the difference is um, is the 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 momentum I'm I'm pumping out. You know, I'm shooting a whatever 580 grain arrow, um, and and the distances I was potentially going to shoot at I never well I shot my antelope a long ways away but that is my setup and you hear horror stories of guys taking 80 yard shots um 380 390 grain arrow with a mechanical and the arrow kind of just bouncing off or not getting that penetration now I'm not saying you should shoot that with a fixed blade either but I'm 100% in agreement with with Brian you won't have those issues when you shoot a fixed blade head like you do with the mechanical. And I, I am a fan. I shoot mechanicals out of a compound. I've shot more animals with mechanical than a fixed blade. But what I can tell you is you cannot argue with the fact I had as good or better penetration with a stick bow going 180 feet per second with a cut-on-contact two-blade head than I did with a mechanical 
with the same arrow weight on a compound shooting 80 plus pounds. I mean, think about that. And then think about all the TV shows you watch where a, a big white tail comes in, the guy shoots it, and the penetration is 12 inches. And the arrow and the animal runs off, and they do find the animal. Sometimes they don't, but think about that because that is 100%. He's shooting a mechanical broadhead, and when you get a guy shooting a stick bow, and that arrow zips through it at 165 to 180 feet per second, you know you start to kind of you know if you if you're really looking at it from an outside perspective, looking in. That should tell you you probably shouldn't be shooting a mechanical if you're shooting that same setup. And and I'm, again, I don't want to hear any emails about, I thought you were pro-mechanical. For the right situation, I don't see an issue with them, but they can fail. And you will not get the penetration ever that you'll get with a cut-on-contact two-blade. Did no, that make any so, sense? I mean, to put it in perfect sense, let's put it in simple terms. This is real easy, okay? Let's assign a number to it. Let's say that Aaron shooting 84 pounds, I'm just using round numbers, okay? 84 pounds and a 600-grain arrow traveling 280 feet per second, okay? Which I know those numbers are a little skewed, but let's just give that setup with a mechanical a value of 100, okay? But upon impact, to take to, to open up that mechanical, He's going to reduce that value of 100 to 80, all right? So then let's take the rest of the population of normal humans that shoot 60-pound bows. So let's, let, all right, so let's say that for Aaron's value of 100 to open up the mechanical, he reduces that value upon impact to 80. Still going to push through anything. But if you take the, the rest of the population, the normal humans, shooting 60 pounds and a 380-grain arrow, their value is going to be 50. But upon impact, they reduce that 50 to 30. Now you're basically shooting a child's bow with yeah. regards to the value of penetration. You don't have the heavy setup that after you shed the energy to open up that mechanical you still have enough penetration and, and enough strength and momentum to push the arrow through. No kid and no female shooting light arrows and light weights should ever shoot a mechanical broadhead, period. Number one, they're not going to be shooting 50 and 60 yards. So accuracy is really not that big of a factor. It's penetration for a light setup. Youth, and females and people shooting super light poundage, they should 100% be shooting a heavy, as heavy arrows they could shoot, limiting their range to 20 to 30 yards and shooting a cut on contact head. And th that is not an opinion. That is a fact. It is a fact. When you watch these kids on television shooting these, these deer and the arrow is hanging out, you know, 60% of the arrows hanging out of the deer, it doesn't have to be that way. And this is a deer. Think about what they're doing on bigger, bigger game. You know, I mean, it's, it is a major disservice. It's not a one size fits all. You can't buy a pack of mechanical, mechanical heads 
and put it on your setup just because it says it's like throwing an axe to an animal. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Each, there, there should be a head set up for every different scenario based on weight, you know, poundage, speed, the whole thing. Right. No, and, and I agree. And, you know, everybody, again, like, yeah, take, go kind of hopping off this, but, you know, your subject, but I'll circle back to it. What we're talking about is when John and I did that podcast um, just a few days ago, when he posted it up, uh, a guy posted and said, uh, you know, love the podcast, but I don't agree. Um, I'm shooting heavyweight forward, best groups I've ever had. Um, and I'm able to get whatever it was, 80 yards out of my movable site. Because John and I talked about that, um, you know, you can have issues with that. Well, my yeah. my response to that is I, I have no doubt you're telling the truth. And at no time did John and I say these are definites, meaning you're, you know, I'm again, I'm not saying you won't shoot the best groups you've ever had with heavy up front, weight up front. I'm saying you probably will. Um, how you'll, you will have great groups with heavy weight up front. I'm not saying you won't be able to get the distance you want to with a heavy FOC arrow. Um, cause you might be able to, there's always, uh, there's always variables. I mean, there's always the one, right? And and I'm not saying that a female. I'm not gonna. I'm sure I will get a message. Uh, that's not true. My wife killed X amount of animals with a X amount of weight arrow and a mechanical. I'm sure that happens. Um, and I and I have no doubt my ex-wife killed a few with a mechanical and a and a fairly light arrow. But it is not smart. It is. It can be done, you know, but should it be done? And I'm in agreement it should not be done because there's no reason to do it. And again, I'm constantly learning, too. I don't think, and I'm agreeing with, with Brian, heavy FOC or not, or throw that shit out the window. You need a heavy arrow for sure and a cut-on-contact head at the very least for a lot of different setups that you're finding. And the information out there is piss poor at best if you look on not even social media, TV, you know, right, whatever. Don't take your info from that. That's bad. And and again, um, you know, looking down the different um, uh, the different options and setups, you know, let's take a two standard setups for one recurve and one compound that walk into a archery shop. The info the recurve guy gets walking into a traditional archery shop is going to be vastly different from the standard compound archery shop today. The recurve shop is going to have that guy shooting up out of the gate, guaranteed a heavy arrow, and obviously a mechanical is never even in the equation, but guaranteed a sharp ass, either a single or double bevel broadhead, possibly a three blade, possibly a two blade. But there's going to be a lot of constants, like guarantees, with a traditional archery shop. Heavy arrow, heavy point weight, sharp broadhead, that's it. Done. Like, okay. Now, take the compound shop, and I, and I would like to hear a lot of people's feedback on this. You may not get the heavy arrow system. You probably aren't going to get heavy point weight. You're probably not going to get a cut on contact. Some shops you will. Um, a lot of it's going to be mechanicals. Um, think about that, right? Okay, 
if a you can if the compound in the traditional archery shop are both putting a pointy stick out of a weapon and through an animal, why is there that vast difference? Because with the stick bow, you really have to focus on um, paying attention to your setup because it's harder to put the arrow through the animal. Well, why is the compound section so much different? Well, because of time and technology and everything else, you are seeing a, a trend, and it's swaying back now to heavier arrows, of speed. Speed is king, right? That's it. They push speed constantly. I mean, speed, 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 speed. But how many of those guys that are pushing speed have put that animal through an arrow or through, put that arrow through an animal? And how many animals? You know, you think about it. Why wouldn't you have a compound have kind of the same setup as a traditional bow, heavier arrow and cut on contact head? And I'm only saying that because how many, you know, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people listening to the podcast and walking into archery ranges. Don't just take what they give you as gospel. Um and I don't. Do you agree with well, that? Well, think about this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Think about this. Every every ad that you see for a bow, what's the first thing they put on the specs right next to the little in the picture? Look at right by the cam. There's always a little three item thing: axle to axle, brace height, and what speed. Yeah. That's the that's the that's what they put next to the picture of every bow that they're advertising: speed. 310, 323, I don't even know how fast they compounds are now, but um, but they put those numbers. When I'm looking at a compound, because I still do shoot a compound every now and then, when I'm looking at a compound bow, what I do is I immediately have a deduction. If I look at a bow that says 320 feet per second, I'm going, okay, well, if my setup at like a 580, 600 grain arrow, I'm shooting 260, 270. That's perfect. And that, I mean, if people would look at it that way as you don't have to try to achieve that speed, go ahead and do your deduction and put a heavier arrow there and say, okay, that fast bow is going to generate a lot of energy for me with this heavy arrow, and I'm going to be in this range. And, you know, the difference is, is that you, you brought, up, brought up a great point. Why would you, if you're a compound shooter, when this is, to me, this is directly re- directed more towards compound people than, than trad this whole conversation is i mean if you're a compound shooter why would you not look at what these dipshits that are shooting sticks at 170 feet per second are shooting and getting good pass-throughs and penetration why would you not look at what these goofballs are using and incorporate that into your bow with 100 more feet per second yeah I mean, you've just you've just created a foolproof system. I don't understand the thought process why you wouldn't do that. Well, I mean, let's um, we're going down lots of rabbit holes, which I like. Let's look at it yeah. for my <laughs> from. I know. I mean, it's good because I, I want people to, to learn from this more than anything. Uh, yeah. My issues with tuning at one point in time were small fletches, and you can't deny. The small fletch craze is is huge. You're not going to get me to buy off on a blazer vein is going to tune an arrow the same as a three or four inch vein. You're just not. And um, obviously 
you're, you, you need to tune your arrow to the bow as well, but just flat out, the more shit sticking off the back end of your arrow, the better you're going to have stabilizing the broadhead. And let, I mean, this is whether the bow's tuned or not. I mean, it's just science. So the thing is, is if you're trying to shoot a small vein and you listen to part of what we say um, and you're shooting and you go out and you get a cut on contact head, but you're still at 297 feet per second and you've got blazers, you, you may not have the outcome you want. You're probably not going to have the outcome you want, but you're going to have a loud bow. Uh, you're going to have short veins and you're going to have a big broad head fixed blade. Okay, well, let's let let's take that back a bit. Okay, add weight to your arrow. Automatically, that's going to be easier to tune. So now instead like of... Heavier grain per inch arrow. Yeah, heavier grain per inch arrow. So now you're, instead of shooting 290, whatever I said, 8, you're down to 268. The first thing you're going to see is your bow is now quiet. Guaranteed it's going to be quieter. There is Super no quiet. argument. Yep. And a quiet bow, in my opinion, beats a fast bow. Obviously, there's always, you don't want to be shooting a dog slow bow if you got a compound. Why shoot a compound? In my opinion, if you've got a compound, you want a little bit of speed out of it. And that's why one of the reasons you're shooting Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, and there were some guys that messaged in of, I'm shooting 220 feet per second. Why is my setup bad? And, and my response was, if you like your setup, it's not bad. Shoot 220 out of a compound. If that's what you feel comfortable with, by all means, do it. But most people shoot, again, Generality, generality, generalities. I don't even know if that's a word. In general, people want I some speed. <laughs> so drop the arrow weight down from 298 to 268. You're gaining a lot more momentum, a, a lot more momentum. Um, you've already got the, the sharp pointy object on the front. You got your cut on contact, two blade head or whatever you're choosing. Drop the speed down, increasing your fletch length by a little or you know, maybe you stay with a two and a quarter inch, but throw a four fletch on there. And, and there's a lot more variables to this tuning. Now you've got more steering characteristics on the back end of the arrow. So you went from a speedy, loud bow with very little veins, very, very smaller, less steering capabilities. Now you've got a slower, quieter bow, more steering capabilities. Guarantee more accurate. you're accurate. Yep. You're going to be more accurate. Now, Okay, but what if I don't have a t chance to judge the yardage? Okay, well, one, practice judging yardage. That'll help. Two, very few people take shots from what I've seen without a rangefinder. Sometimes it happens. It's always going to happen. Um, but I think for the most part, your setup, you will find a much happier, consistent, penetrating, accurate setup with a little bit slower bow, or, or in some cases a lot slower bow, with better guidance off the back end, and a quieter bow, you're going to be six more successful in the field tipping animals over. Not not targets. You know, that doesn't... Shooting 3Ds, yeah, you want speed. There's no doubt. you got to judge the yardage. I mean, obviously, if it's marked yardage, totally different. Uh, and the only reason why I'm bringing these things up is I remember fighting, tuning a bow tuning an arrow, meaning, I, you know, getting it kind of eyeballed in, tuning the arrow to the bow, and then trying to get some big fixed blade to, or even a small fixed blade to fly because I had 1.75 duravanes on the back end. I just didn't have enough on there. Now, if I would have added point weight, there's no doubt it's easier to tune that because the, um, you know, I'm just kind of using the back end as a rudder, but 
you know, the, the key here is you're adding weight to the arrow, whether it's the point or the arrow. But for me, it's easier to get an arrow to tune without extreme point weight, just adding weight, eight, you know, because of the spine of the shaft. If you just add a ton of point weight to the front, now you've weakened the spine of that arrow so bad, you're going to have to definitely get different arrows. But finding a arrow to spine out with crazy heavy point weight is a problem. And all of these things tie in together and and we're bouncing around all over the place, especially me. But again, (laughs) I want people to understand when they head into the field that a quiet a quiet tuned bow and and again I do shoot mechanicals but generally it's going to be better with a cut on contact head is going to be a more lethal system and not to get wrapped up like Brent and I argued yesterday about 1% of FOC how big of a deal it is for him and I'm like shit man I don't even I haven't even checked mine like I and he's right if you add 12 grains to the back of the arrow, you're going to have to add 30 to get that percent back to the front. My point was, is I don't give a shit. Like, I like a wrap on the back of my arrow. And you're going to have a hard time getting me to buy off on, because he said my groups will get tighter with my compound. So, you know, my, my groups will get cut in half at 80 yards if I would have added more point weight to the front of my compound setup. Okay, well, Brian, you've seen me shoot at 80 yards. How tight would that group be? Almost you can't get any tighter than you already got. It, it, it would be difficult. And so some of that stuff I have a hard time buying off on. Like, okay, if I went from 175 to 250 up front, if I'm already shooting paper plates consistently at 80 yards, um, and I'm not talking internet groups here, like I can legitimately shoot a paper plate at 80 yards pretty much all the time with a compound bow. I can't get any tighter than that because I can't hold any tighter than that. You know what I mean? Like my pen's going to float the size of a paper plate. How the hell is it going to get any tighter than that? The arrows aren't, I mean, it's not a freaking laser guided missile, right? I, I, I mean, the pen moves X amount. If your bow and arrow are tuned in continuity of each other, how the hell can they hit even better than I'm holding? I don't think they can. Well, I mean, at 80 yards, the pin is the size of the paper plate. Yeah, even with an eight, you know, a 10,000th pin at 80 yards, it's covering a, a pretty good portion of that, of that paper plate. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. I mean, how do you get any tighter than that? I mean, and listen, it probably, let, let's say that it probably will, but we're not discussing shooting foam. Right. I am so re- I, I almost turn, if anybody looks at, looks at my Instagram page, from usually about March to September, you don't see me post shit. Cause I'm not doing anything. I am so, I'm, I'm so ready for hunting season cause I cannot look at another group of arrows and a freaking 3D target or a gym selfie. I'm about, I mean, I'm over the shit. I'm ready for hunting season to start so I can start looking at animals again. I don't care about shooting the foam. Practice is fun. I love shooting, but Everybody's getting obsessed with what their setup is doing on foam. They need to be focused on what that setup is going to do on an animal when it impacts the animal. You want that arrow sticking in the dirt on the other side of it. That's what you want. Or you don't want to find that arrow at all. You want it just to keep on going. Um, 
that's what we're talking about here, not groups at 80. Um, it, I mean, to put it in perspective, guys, here's the deal. I've never shot a whitetail over 30 yards. I never will shoot a whitetail over 30 yards. Not going to do it. I'm not going to shoot an, a whitetail farther than 30 yards. I've been successful. You don't have to shoot them far to kill to kill deer. There's no reason that you have to do that. Now, I know people are going to shoot them at 40 and 50. That's fine. But I've never done it, and I've been very successful. I think if you work on having your understanding what your effective range is, and if you can drive packs at 30, but at 40 you start getting flyers every other arrow, you shouldn't be shooting at an animal at 40. If you're like Aaron and you can shoot a paper plate at 80, well, yeah, then you can shoot animals at 40 and 50. But well, and we, most people can't do that. We, we you, know, you know, we've talked about this before, um, you know, as far as effective range. And, and I mean, and you, I mean, Broderick is not afraid to give me shit and, and tell me when I'm doing something stupid. One of the things was the distances I was shoot, shooting animals at. You, you basically told me to, one, stop doing it, and two, shut up and stop talking about it because it gives a bad... Uh, perception or idea for people listening in that 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 you know if if someone can do it they can do it but if people are listening in and then automatically they think they can it's a recipe for wounded animals um or, or misses but Absolutely. you know even worse wounded um you know where i got a let's, real let's back up to your let's back up to your era real quick because you had a great point there and i think we need to drill down on that when you're talking about the steerage and the veins this is this i think this is what's super important We've, we've kind of danced around all of this, this talk about tuning the arrow, but how do you tune the arrow? I'll talk about how I do it very quickly, just a real succinct message here. I bear shaft tune, and I try to shoot, I try to shorten the shaft or lighten the point weight incrementally to stiffen the spine until I get myself just a shade stiff. Because an arrow will shoot weak along, I mean, it'll just, if it's weak, it takes a lot to, to, to figure out how to get it back where it's supposed to be, okay? So you need to take it to the point to where it's a shade stiff. And at that point, once it's bare shaft tuned, you should be able to shoot groups at 30 with bare shafts. If you do that, when you add your fletchings, the only thing, purpose that fletching is serving is is to offset the steerage of your head but what happens is is when people are not spine to you know properly spining and bare shaft tuning their arrow and it's already out of whack the fletching is having to serve as stabilization for the shaft and then when you add a a, a fixed head on top of it it just compounds that so if you will learn how to go through the process and bear shaft to perfection, the, the, the fletchings are a moot point at that point, and they're just offsetting your, your head. Now you've got a dead nut set up. When people say my broadheads don't shoot where my field tips do, it's because your arrow's not tuned. If your arrow's tuned, you can walk those jokers right in together and shoot them. You can intermingle and shoot them together. No problem. Don't you agree, Aaron? Yeah, no, I do agree. Um, and and it, and 
the the art of of tuning in general is is kind of lost. Um, and it, I mean, I guess, would you agree with that? Would you say the art of tuning a stick or a, a compound or a recurve is kind of gone these days um, in comparison it, it, to? It's lost, i.e., the advent or the in, the introduction of high FOC predominantly in the trad world because it's so hard to tune an arrow to a trad bow. The high FOC arrows, it's it's a shortcut to tuning. That's why everybody loves it so much. When you, can, it, you can throw all that weight up there, and as that light spine shoots around that shelf, and it kicks out, that super light back end on that arrow stabilizes so fast that it you know that it it, it corrects its its bad flight super super fast. And that's why these guys love it, because they don't have to go through the whole tuning process to properly spine the arrows. Those high FOC arrows are not properly spined. No, and most people don't know how to, um, uh, I mean, if you have trouble reading an arrow chart to start with, well, there is yeah. no chart for heavy FOC. There's not. And so if you are confused on a standard arrow chart, well, Think about what you're going to be confused on if you're throwing 250 grains into that chart up front or 200 on a compound set setup, um, you know, because yeah. there is no chart for heavy FOC. Um, now, my, like myself, I, I, you know, from shooting heavy point weight and shooting so long, I, I know what someone's going to need to, to make it work. Um, but again, you know, Tuning is, is, is lost, and, and when you throw in huge variables, it's really lost. And most archery shops, compound shops, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, you come in and you say you want to rock a 200-grain head, that's not, I mean, the, the, the response is not going to go over well. One is going to be why. Um, why the hell would you do well, that? The first thing is going to be, first thing is going to be we don't have those. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. And it's funny with this heavy FOC craze, people are asking me from a compound world, you know, I'm having to send them to Rocky Mountain or Lancaster, uh, or not Lancaster, they hoard or some, but Three Rivers Archery, you know, these different archery yep. shops, because you, you're going on the traditional side of things. You're going to have to use components from the traditional world to get it to work. And and that's one reason, you know, with, with Valkyrie, he has made it simpler and allows you to, to do that. Um, my thing is like right now, my, my systems for my recurves, I've got one that's a heavier FOC. It's, it's, um, it's a lighter weight arrow, um, nine grains per inch. And I've got upwards of 300 grains up front. My other arrow is a heavier, more, um, consistent, I guess, uh, more evenly weighted arrow. Uh, you know, one's a gold tip and one's a grizzly stick. Um, and, you know, kind of screwing around with all of this, you know, group tune or shooting groups. You know, I, without having getting this giant debate, I'm not shooting any better with one than I am the other. Okay, I mean, I, my groups at 40 are equal with both systems, meaning the evenly weighted arrow with less weight up front that actually ends up a bit heavier um, is hitting just as good as the heavier arrow weight up front, the more extreme FOC. The one thing I like with the more evenly weighted is that arrow is more durable. Um, it also flies better in the wind. Now, that'll be a huge one people will argue about is, is the heavier point weight will hit better in the wind. That is true, but it won't fly as good. 
in my opinion. It, the, the head will hit where you want it in the wind. It won't drift as bad. But when it hits, the arrow is at an angle, and the knot is not behind the head. If you're going to shoot foam for a living, have at it. No big deal. If you're going to try to kill animals, the knot's got to be behind the head, brother. It's the only way it works. Oh, Arrows yeah. don't penetrate if they're flying sideways. So, and let me say this, man. I, I want to make this perfectly clear. I think everybody understands I'm not a FO, high FOC proponent. I think that's pretty clear. But what I want to say is, is that, and you've referenced Brent and I, you know, going back and forth about it, debating it. Brent is one fine individual. I like the shit out of him. I love his Valkyrie products. I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's a better component system out there. If there is, I haven't seen it. Um, everything he's doing is precise. It's, it's, I mean, it is fantastic world-class stuff. I shot one of his screw-in heads uh, last year, uh, the whole season, the 175 head. Absolutely loved them. Absolutely loved them. I think it's one of the best heads out there. Um, so I don't want that to be confused. Uh, it's just when it comes to FOC is where our opinions differ. Um, and then I'll say this, too, when we were talking about, you know, tuning the bare shaft tuning and then fletchings. I heard on a podcast uh, a young guy in the industry that shoots trad has a huge following um, make the statement, I don't ever bear shaft tune because I'm never going to shoot a bear shaft at an animal. And, there, and he said, there's no reason to do it. That is not good information. <laughs> you might be able to get away with it with, a compound bow because they're way more forgiving, but with a trad bow, no way. You have got to spine that arrow out before you ever put fletchings on it. Do you agree with that, Aaron? Yeah, I, I do. And we were talking about, this actually came up during league, um, about that statement by a bunch of traditional archers that I was shooting with who asked me about, um, you know, tuning and, and what I do. And I said, well, I said honestly, I'll uh, I do a little bit of everything. I'll shoot through paper, um, but I said I do it with a bear shaft, and and I said so I'll shoot through paper with a bear shaft, and then I'll bear shaft tune um, both, and then I actually will do some slow mo video behind, um, but this is all with a bear shaft, and then if once I'm close, you know, because my release isn't perfect every time, but once I'm real close to perfect. Uh, with that bear shaft, that's through paper. That's also, um, you know, bear shaft tuning at 20 yards or 10 yards, just seeing which way the arrow hits when you can. Um, and some slow-mo, I'll get some veins on or feathers on there, and I'll do the same thing again. And then once the feathers are on there, I will consistently shoot for that day or the next couple days five or six fletched arrows along with a bear shaft just to make sure I'm still good, you know, and I keep a bear shaft around all the time because if you can get the bear shaft to hit good, you're good, in my opinion. If the bear shaft is hitting, I mean, you're, you're, you're glorious, right? You're only adding, you know, you're only, you're only perfecting it at that point after adding more fletches to it. 
Again, that's, that's right. my that's my opinion. But if you can start out perfect with a bear shaft, your money. If you don't do anything well, you've with watched the, me shooting the, Go ahead. No. Well, I mean, you've watched me shoot in the backyard with you at the house, at the camp there, and I, well, I'll literally grab a bunch of arrows, and some of them will be fletched, and some of them will be bare shafts. And I shoot them all together, and they shoot exa- they group exactly the same. And what people need to understand is is that, you know, if your bare shaft is, is you know, not left on impact consistently, you're a little weak. If it's not right on impact, it's a little stiff. You can adjust that by, you know, point, weight, arrow length, et cetera. Um, but once you fletch them and you keep your, your bear shafts and you move out to, say, 25 or 30, well, then as you're shooting, if you'll look at your point of impact, if your bear shafts are hitting, say, three inches to the right of your, of your fletch shafts, you're still a little weak spine. And because what happens is you think about a knock left arrow is going to plane right and a knock right arrow is going to plane left once it grabs air. So you can sit there and shoot, keep those bare shafts, shoot them with your, with your fletched arrows out the distance, even with compound guys. And you can still fine tune that system. If you get out to 40 and you're shooting two inches left with bare shafts, man, you could, I mean, you can, add 10 more grains to the front or lengthen the arrow by, you know, like cut your next arrows a half inch longer and get those things perfectly spined to where out to 40, you can shoot them together. Now you've got a system that is foolproof. So when you put that fixed head on there, basically that's all the fletchings you're doing is compensating for that. And for trad guys, let me give you guys a, uh, a lesson of hunting in a lot of places and a lot of conditions. If you don't think that bare shaft tuning is important, go hunt in Newfoundland for 10 days. Go hunt in Alaska for 10 days. Go hunt in BC for 10 days. And your arrows and your fletchings are soaking wet all the time. And you've got a 200 grain, three to one, you know, single bevel broadhead up front and you've got wet fletchings. And you didn't bother to bare shaft tune. You're up shit creek, buddy. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I learned that the hard way. Um, not the uh, not the bear <laughs> shaft part, but the wet with the the, the flattened uh, feather part. It's it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's it's not bad. good. You're oh, yeah. back to shooting a bear shaft. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, bow hunting does not take place inside of a metal building on Wednesday night league night. What happens in there is two totally different things on the field, on, to, on the mountain. It's two totally different things. That's what you got to set up for if you're going to be a hunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you take – I won't mention any names. Actually, I'm going to because I brought up um, you and and, uh, and another guy named Harold before. You were making fun of me because I said um, – what did I say? You weren't my first-round draft pick at a 3D tournament? Oh, you said I was a 20th-round <laughs> draft pick shooting foam, yeah. But – but, 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 and you can shoot really well, but you take, let's say in South Cox, I just shot with South at a 3D league and South is a good shot. You're a good shot. Harold, not the greatest shot, but you're all killers. <laughs> um, right. and, and, and all of you, um, prove it every year. You know what I mean? You're, you're putting 
animals on the ground. And that, uh, you know, is a total another, you know, rabbit hole we'll go down in a different podcast, which is actually learning how to hunt animal behavior, you know, things like that. But, you know, you, you, um, you talk to these guys and, um, I, I, you know, it seems like the, the, with that, you know, Harold never brings up extreme FOC. He has an averagely weighted, he shoots a, Easton access uh, arrow, and I think he's got 200 up front, maybe, or 250. Um, I'm not sure yeah. what um, – uh, I know that uh, uh, South is shooting the Valkyrie system right now with um, – he's probably got 270 up front um, or something like that. And then, uh, you know, you, where you've got, what, 200 up front, correct? 175. One, 175. So, you know, but there's not a lot of – crazy, you know, shit going on with your guys' he- crazy heavy FOC. Your arrow flight's good. You know, you, you focus. Yeah, my arrows are, are 12 grains per inch, though. Well, and, and these arrows, I just, you know. That's why I'm getting my way, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and these arrows that I just um, set up that, that um, I'm screwing around with now, I haven't really talked about them yet because I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what I'm going to shoot, but you know, I'm at 11 grains per inch on this new system I'm working on, and uh, or 11.2, and I'm either going to shoot 10.2 or 11.2 grains per inch on the arrow, um, and I've been screwing around with them last night if I'm going to shoot um, a 200-grain head or 250, just getting my point on at 40. Um, but when I've been tuning these these newer arrows, it's, and it's not a, a grizzly stick or a gold tip, um, the key I wanted with these arrows was durability. I wanted to make sure they were super durable, um, you know, was one of the big things. And then obviously, you know, I want to make sure the arrow flight's good and everything else, but I'm not noticing with 200 up front and let's say 16 to 17% FOC much difference when I'm screwing around putting 300 up front. Um, when I say much difference, meaning my grouping, obviously, you know, when I'm, when I'm hitting at 40, I'm about her paper plate at 40 consistently. What I really like is, very, very durable arrows and components um, to go along with that. And so when I'm screwing around with all this and where there's all this talk lately, I've done about 14 podcasts now on FOC and Aeroflight, you know, the brain does like make take mental notes. Like, am I, am I hitting where the shit? Is one group better than the other? Um, you know, and, and I'm not noticing that huge difference. I just want a heavy arrow weight. And that's just something for people to think about. I'm not poo-pooing on crazy FOC. It's just I'm not buying off on it like a lot of other people are. I will buy off on a 650 grain arrow. Hell yeah, I'll buy off on that. Am I buying off on a 600? Oh yeah, but I'm not buying off on the fact that I need 26% FOC in that system. Um, I just like the heavy arrow. I'm not totally, like I'm not going down the rabbit hole. I like heavy point weight. It's just the extreme part for me is I'm having a hard time believing that I'm going to get better penetration with a 350 grain uh, head with an arrow that weighs six something compared to a 200 grain arrow or a 200 grain head on the same weight arrow. I just don't see how my penetration is going to be any different. 600 and whatever grains is 600 and whatever grains. Um, I, I just think all it's things to, equal, same speed, same weight, regardless of percentage of FOC. There is no difference. And listen, I'm not, uh, listen, I'm, I'm a, just a redneck from Alabama. So I'm, I'm not some 
you know, scientists or engineer anything. But <laughs> this is, I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. My mother has been in aerospace education for 35 years. And I've asked guys that do know their shit, like guys that work at NASA, you know, that's how obsessive I've always been about this stuff. Her colleagues, I've said, does this make a difference with regards to momentum? They go, absolutely not. Same weight, same speed, same everything. There's no difference. So the rest of it is all speculation, you know, in my opinion. Uh, opinion. So um, I will say one thing, though. I know we've been on here a while. I know you probably got to go sleep or poop or something. So um, <laughs> it was usually, usually every hour, one of those two things happens in your world. So RP. When people talk about speed and trajectory and all those things, there's one thing that for compound guys especially, this is super important. A lot of guys are like, man, I don't want to bump my arrow weight up because I want a flatter trajectory. Wouldn't you say that's the, the biggest thing? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, they want the speed, the flatter trajectory. Let me make a point here that most people don't ever consider, and it's called shed velocity, okay? So let's say... Take two objects the same size, a ping pong ball and a golf ball, right? Which one can you throw farther? Oh, you can throw a golf ball farther. A mile. Yeah, a mile farther. So what happens is with a light arrow, it's the same thing. Imagine rearing back and slinging a ping pong ball as hard as you can sling it. It's going to be cooking, come out of your hand. 20 feet out, it's going to shed velocity, fall to the ground. A, a golf ball, you can throw it out of sight. Okay, now those are two extremes, but here's what happens with light arrows and, and, and heavier arrows with compound shooters. If you'll find that happy medium, you can take an arrow, let's say that's 300 grains and shoot 300 feet per second. And then you can take an arrow, let's say you bump it up to, to 350, but it's only shooting 280. Well, believe it or not, there's a point out there to where the light arrow has shed velocity the heavier arrow has maintained velocity, and they and they catch each other. And then the heavier arrow will actually pass it. Now, when you get into extreme weights, that point may be out past 100 yards. But if you're talking about 50 grains, that point may be at 35 or 40 yards to where you're, you're let's say, point on with a, a great arrow that's 50 grains different could possibly be the same at 40. The, do you understand what I'm saying, Aaron? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. Most people don't think about that at all. There's a point to where that heavier arrow is going to have the same point of impact that a lighter arrow is. It just depends on the weight differential and the Delta between the two. Right. Right. No. And I, and I agree. And again, I think that, um, Finding that happy medium is is should not be overlooked. The happy medium, I think, is where you go from one extreme or the other. There's going to be di diminishing returns on either end. Um, uh, and, That's right. And, and and the diminishing return on the light end is penetration. Um, you know, one of many diminishing, but penetration being one. The diminishing return on the other end is going to be arrow drop. You know, you're not going to your arrow is going to drop like crazy. 
somewhere in that middle, to which a is point. To, to a certain point. Yeah. Yep. And so somewhere in that median, uh, you know, or somewhere in there is going to be a mean, median and mode where you're going to, you know, be happy. And that was one thing Dudley and I talked about a lot was you need to have a baseline to start with what's your hunting, what's your bow, what's your speed, you know, all that different stuff. And that's a good way to find that happy medium. And, uh, and again, that happy medium, in, in my opinion, is going to end up a little bit on the heavier side, um, or it should anyway, to be the most lethal. Right. And, and keep in mind with a lighter arrow as well, they're not going to be as stable in variable conditions. And now you hear me say that a lot, variable conditions, crosswinds, uh, updrafts, uh, going through debris, limbs that you don't see, um, a lighter arrow is not going to be as stable in those situations that a heavier arrow is. It's just not going to happen. i tell you a good study for people to look up on the Internet. Um, they can Google it. Is um, There's been a lot of studies uh, with regards to Olympic javelin throwing, and they obsess over the FOC, you know, the, 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 the point weight and the balance weight on the javelin throwing and the trajectory, accuracy, all that jazz. That is super interesting stuff if you really want to understand how a projectile performs at certain different weights and balances. Because you can imagine how they've obsessed over that over the last, what, 100 years? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. If not more. I mean, you, know? you got to think about it. There had to be cavemen or not. There had to be some thought process when they were killing those giant, what the hell are those elephant-looking things called? Good Lord. um Mastodon. Mastodon or whatever. There had to be some thought yeah. process behind building that spear, which is a javelin. Right? I mean. That's it. So, yeah, even, you yeah. know, back in whatever, 1500 B.C. or whatever, you know, I mean, there's always been um, uh, a javelin type projectile, which is the same as an arrow in a lot of ways, not identical. Um, and so, yeah, there's a there's a lot of a lot of thought process behind it that I think people overlook. Well, there's a lot of research out there that relates to it in, in the FOC and the trajectory and all that. It's very interesting stuff. And you can see that they all finally conclude that it's better to have just a moderate FOC, you know, not some extreme FOC for trajectory and all kinds of other reasons. So anyway, we've gotten off on Deflins and, and Mastodons now. I think we're really, really getting off track. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I start talking about anything like that, you know, I'm full of shit. Um, because it has to do with me studying in school. Well, man, um, hopefully this didn't confuse people too, too much. And I actually uh, have uh, Ashby coming on the podcast with Grizzly Stick on the 7th. Um, yeah. And so that'll be interesting. So it's not, I mean, keep in mind, everybody, Brian and I may be biased to a certain type of um, system. And, and, and that's off of our previous experience. You know, we are trying to get everyone's, opinion on this thrown out there so people can, um, you know, learn from it. But I guarantee at the end of this, one thing will be a constant. One will be a fixed blade, uh, cut on contact and a heavy arrow. After that, I pretty much guarantee everything after that is speculation. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I would. I think it's all, I think it's all just sub subjective opinion, you know? So, um, I would like you to ask a question for me, for me though, when you get Ashby on. Uh, I've heard him say multiple times that he's killed like 27, 2,800 animals with a bow, 
I'd like for him to drill down on the math on that. Because, I mean, if that's the case, I think he's he would have to be like 113 years old. Yeah, you know, I uh, <laughs> I ran, I was trying to, you know, figure that out. for, And I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying I bring up 250 to 300 animals. People think I'm lying. Somebody like you doesn't. Yeah. Be, but you gotta you gotta figure with a a guy that that is successful out west is usually going to have three to five animals a year, um, right? So if you got three to five animals a year, and and let's say um, you know on average three, uh, you know that's sixty animals in twenty years. That's pretty good hunter, okay. But if you take that's a that great hunter. Oh, yeah. But if you take that guy and he goes on doe killing sprees or goes back and hunts places you can shoot a couple bucks a year, get some list C cow tags, things like that, where you go down and like with you last year, I killed 14 total or a lot, a lot. Okay. Well, that's 14. Um, You know, that's that's four or five years of a Western hunter in in seven days, Um, you know, so. Uh, again, that's how those numbers get up pretty high. It's not like I'm hunt, killing 12 elk a year. Um, but if I hunt in, in two or three states out west, hunt in the spring, hunt turkeys, then I go and you hunt a state, you know, Minnesota, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Alabama, wherever, you know, some of those areas, they invite you over. I mean, I've been in Texas where, man, I, I bet you I've killed 50 animals in like five days. Um I've run out of arrows. That's where those numbers get up there. The one thing, though, is when the number's that high, you're talking about killing 100 a day sometimes, right? Like just mathematically, that is a lot of animals hitting the ground. So that would mathematically, I'd like to see it broken down as well because, man, I've— Well, you're talking about 50 animals a year for 50 years to kill 2,500 animals. Exactly. Yep. And if and if you're and if you're you know, a lot of his experiences in Africa and if he's in Africa guiding, I mean, how are you how are you shooting fifty animals a year with a bow for fifty years guiding? Or you cut that down to a twenty year experience, you know, and let's say that, that you're taking, you know, just a small percentage of those animals over that time. How are you killing a hundred, two hundred animals a year and guiding? Because most guys I know, they don't ever get to kill shit. No, Clay Lancaster is the one of the most well-renowned guides in the world. And I can tell you for a fact, he doesn't get to kill shit. He's guiding too much because I'm always pestering him to go hunting. And, and he gets to hunt. But if he shoots an animal or two a year, he's doing good. And, you know, those That's guys what are I'm saying, you know, so. pumping out some crazy, uh, crazy hunts. So, yeah, no, I mean, believe me, it's crossed my mind as well. I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, That's just a lot of animals on the ground. Well, when you when the, my thing is is when you've got someone that is, you know, a numbers person, and then the, a number like that comes out, you know, you start going, man, it's kind of a credibility thing. I mean, maybe maybe he has, but good grief, I mean, there's 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 got to be some high volume days yeah. in there. <laughs> well, and, and you and I both know you shoot, and and I have. Um, you shoot um, uh, a number, you know, whatever. You shoot 15 animals in a day, that's a shitty day. That's a good day of hunting. That's a lot of cleaning. Um, 
you know, and, and uh, yeah, you, know. you bump that number up more than that. It's really a problem. So anyhow, well, man, I, I assure you, I'm glad to see y'all go because I don't want to clean all those animals that y'all shoot when y'all are there over 10 days. Oh yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh Lord. Well, man, yeah. I, I appreciate well, fun, you coming buddy. on. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I appreciate you coming on, man. And, I, and I'll talk to you soon enough either way. And uh, we'll get uh, start pumping these things out. And uh, y'all yeah, be interested to see the feedback. But I appreciate you being part of it. Uh, no problem. And just I want to do a shout-out for my sponsors, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, Hostess Cupcakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord. All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs> see ya.